about contact and feeling in the link of the 12 links of dependent origination that at that point contact and feeling then we have the freedom to in a way change to do something differently and so that's why I would like to look at uh, tonight about contact and feeling and also of course in terms of grasping and non-grasping because uh, some time ago I have become uh, very aware that actually it's really at the level of contact that in a way uh, sometimes difficulties start, suffering starts, grasping starts and what happened is just I was on a retreat, I was teaching and uh, anyway it was people were not really keeping the silence, it was kind of really hard work with that and then suddenly I heard walking by a manager talking to somebody and just hearing that voice then I went into the loop oh really you know they're not keeping the silence and really the manager are not helping da, 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 da. so you know kind of total grasping and proliferation but to me, and then what was interesting for me is that later on out of something else that person talked to me the manager and in a way without me asking telling me uh, why she talked to that person because there was something urgent and whatever so in a way there was very good reason for the manager to talk to that person in a way and to break the silence so that what struck me there was that often what happens is that we are in contact often for example we sound, we hear something we are in contact and in a way through that contact we reduce ourselves to whatever, in a way, especially if you dislike something, to whatever you dislike in that moment. And then you go into this huge proliferation. When actually if you had an explanation, then you would feel very differently. You would say, oh yeah, this is so. And what it showed me is that it's at the level of contact that straight away there is a possibility of grasping. And that is very much something that we could look very much with the meditation is to see why there is contact what do we do? do we encounter it spaciously with possibility or do we grasp at the contact at what we come in contact with and then there is this often huge proliferation and this was also brought home to me when I used to live in community and you know living with 12 other people often there would uh, be interesting things happening that if you started to feel some negative energy with somebody then again and again you would meet, you would have contact and things would go wrong and again and again I would reflect that if only I had passed by a minute before or if only I had passed two minutes later nothing would have happened I was again and again that in a way this kind of negative energy would nearly bring the contact into being and then from that contact generally there would be friction there would be difficulty and so that's why I think in a way it is quite useful to look at that to look at when we come into contact with something what do we do at that level how do we encounter whatever we come in contact with 
And in terms of living in a community, what was especially living in an English community, what I found was interesting was the endless discussion about cups. Unwashed <laughs> cups. This was the, one of the major things we would deal with at business meetings. <laughs> and in a way, reflecting upon it, I thought, isn't it interesting? You, let's say you have three cups, unwashed, near the sink. And in a way, when you come into contact with the visual data of the three cups, you can do three different things. You can see the cup and wash it. And it will basically take you about two, three minutes at the most. You can see them and decide to ignore them. And again, this will take you zero seconds, maybe 30 seconds. Or you can come into contact with a cup not wash them, but not ignore them either, and go into this long proliferation, which will last days, <laughs> and we will be brought very strongly to the business meeting, and you will be very hot about it. But isn't it interesting? That in a way I would say the first solution is in a way what we would call creative engagement. You see the cup, you wash them, and it's finished, it's gone. You ignore them, you made a choice. This is not my business. <laughs> I'm not going to engage with this. This is not my <laughs> This is what we call kind of, you know, ignorance and restraint. I mean, this also can sometimes be a useful way to deal with it. And then in the third one, in a way, is a kind of the most aggravating. Because in a way, you kind of start to make this whole thing. But you don't do anything. That's what is interesting. You don't do anything with the car. But proliferate about them, about the idea of them. There is this uh, relatively well-known story you might have heard. It's a Zen story about two celibate monks coming to a river with a little kind of high, and there is this pretty young lady and who can't cross because she's small and dainty, and so one of the monks said, oh, I can carry you over, and she said, yes, we'll carry her over, then put her down, she goes this way, the monks go that way, and then they walk back towards the monastery, and finally, the one who did not carry the lady says, how could you do this? You're a celibate monk, how could you carry this lady over? This is terrible. And so the other monk said, well, I left her by the side of the river, you're still carrying her. <laughs> and in a way, this is what grasping it is about, in a way. That it does not, not only does it does not creatively engage, respond to the situation, but at the same time, it leads, one could say, to this aggravation and also this kind of proliferation, this kind of, you know, instead of, which really takes you away from being in the moment, or actually walking, and the lady has long gone. So in a way, looking at contact and seeing that whenever we are in contact with something, in a way we have the opportunity to grasp, we have the opportunity to stick. I think there is no doubt, there seems to be a sticky quality to us, that we 
we see something, we hear something, we feel something, and we stick. It's kind of like, look, there is this, whoop, kind of, you know, this kind of stick is nearly like Velcro. And you know, tap, and then it's very hard, in a way, to kind of de, uh, de-stick. But I think, in a way, in this grasping, we have to see these two things which can happen. The grasping and then the proliferation. That is be to something which is positive, to something which is negative. I think it's very important to see that the grasping and proliferation happen with both. What is wonderful or what is terrible. It doesn't matter. The same process will happen. And what was interesting recently, I went to uh, we went to the south of France with Stephen for a little conference and I took the opportunity to show him some gorges, the gorges of the Verdon, it's a river in the south of France. And I had not seen them in a long time. It was so amazing to have this in France. It's, I mean, it's not like the Grand Canyon, but it's not bad. It's very awesome. I mean, I really felt it was so sublime. It was so amazing. But at the same time, being in front of it, because usually you come in contact with this great chasm and these rocks and this, I mean, it's quite an amazing panoramic, very wide, very kind of impressive. That because of its largeness, of its bigness, you could not grasp at it. You could not even dream of grasping at it. So in a way, in the nature of the thing you came in contact, there was that impossibility of grasping. And I thought that was very interesting to be with something like that. That was so immense, that was so sublime. You know, you could just be with it. And so in a way, when we are in contact with things which are more minute, in a way, I think there is more an opportunity to grasp, to lock, to kind of fix with it. Another thing I thought was very interesting going back to that place where I had been when I was uh, seven years old, and I went to this famous little hill, very minor hill, on the village where I lived and I used to play and everything. <coughs> but what struck me is that as a child, I had never noticed the vastness of the horizon of that little hill. It was beautiful. There were all these mountains upon mountains and these wide plains. But as a child, the only thing I remembered was this kind of corner of a wall on top of a hill. I had no idea there would be that spectacular view. And it showed me that as a child, I had been so self-involved, in a way so grasping, had little things around me that in a way I could not open to that vision to know this vastness, to experience this vastness. And of course, I think that's what happened with grasping. When we grasp, in a way, we're a little like the child who grasps that the small thing near and it kind of, in a way, stops us from opening to the wideness of the experience of the moment. And so, and as an adult, I could, I was so struck. This is wild. How come I don't remember this? I was so struck by that. 
And it seems to me that's what a little happens when we grasp. So in a way there is this mechanism which some of you have seen, some of you have not seen, so I'll do it again. This is my little party trick. <laughs> and to, to kind of show a little how this works, this grasping, which kind of in a way fixes us, limits us in the contact. So we can in a way not really open to what is there, but also open to our potential within that moment. So let's say this is mine, this is precious, or this is the greatest truth in the universe, and I have got it. So since I have got it, I hold on to it. So in a way, I come into contact with it, and then I grasp at it. And then, grasping at it, two things happen. First thing is that I will get a cramp in my arm. And this is the first thing which in a way where I think there is a certain level of tension in our lives. It's because we hold on to things in this tight way. So in a way, we, we can, as soon as we grasp, in a way, we tighten a little. There is this little subtle tightening, subtle tensing. But in a way, worse than the tensing, when you grasp, at that moment, you actually cannot use your hand to do anything else. So in a way, you, you reduce to what you grasp at. And that's why as soon as we grasp, in a way, that's why the, the freedom is less possible. Because as soon as we grasp, in a way, we fix ourselves to what we grasp at. We reduce ourselves to that. And so because of that, then you limit your potential and you also limit in a, to a, a wider vision when we come in contact. And also then, generally with contact, then there will be the other thing, the proliferation. So I think what would be interesting would be to look, because Stephen was talking very much in terms of the senses. We come into contact through our senses. We see, we hear, we taste, we smell, we feel, we sense, we, we think. And so in a way, at each of these places, in a way, at each of the places where we sense something, we come into contact. So what do we do? And so that's what I like to look at now, in terms of just us being at Gaia House. How can we engage with this contact and bring what I would call creative engagement to the moment? So there is more of a potential and there is more of a wide vision. Visual. I think one thing we can do, which is interesting to play with, is looking at ourselves in the mirror. I mean, I'm pretty sure most of you, at least once a day, generally we look at ourselves in the mirror. I am, you know, is my hair okay, you know, have I got anything in my teeth, or whatever you do when you look at yourself in the mirror. And it's interesting. We look at ourselves and, hmm, you know, and you kind of generally look. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you come into contact with your visual form. And what do you do then? And generally we grasp at the imperfection. We kind of, oh, this is a little spot here, or the hair is a little funny, or whatever it is. And you know, I would say as an exercise, can I creatively engage with looking at myself in the mirror? How can I look 
at myself as this human being in this moment. Not grasping, not thinking anything in what I am looking at. I think this would be, you know, an interesting exercise to try out, to bring meditation to that. The thing to look a little at people, when you know, we go around the house and you know, we see the people, we recognize the people, but again, looking at how we look at people generally. Sometimes we just look at their hair, sometimes just at their face, sometimes just what you're really into shoes, the shoes they wear, or just, you know, the clothes, or whatever, the way they walk, or whatever it is. And in a way, instead of fixing, again, in the contact, often there is this narrowing, and then this fixing, this grasping, and then this kind of, you know, often we can see the proliferation with it. You know, you know, you might see somebody and then suddenly you look at it, oh yeah, they really look at like Aunt Elga, you're an Aunt Elga, she's kind of weird, isn't she? Yes, yes, there is a problem in the family with us. And you kind of, you know, from seeing, looking at the person in a certain way, then you go off into this huge thing. And in a way, are not really present to the person who is alive in this moment who is breathing like yourself. So in a way, to me, this creative engagement is how can we meet the person in their fullness in the moment, and also with the fullness of my potential, of wisdom and compassion in the moment. Anyway, playing with that as we go about the house, but also looking at the tree, looking at things. I don't know if there are any gardeners here, but I find when I go to places, I'm a gardener and I'm interested in this thing, I kind of, hmm, this is a nice plant. Mm, I would like to have one of those. And then very quickly, I am not with the plant, but I am with, you know, where should we go in the house, and where can I find one like this, and, with, uh, you know, and, and then again, you go off. And in a way, as you go about the house, as you go about the garden, can you meet, can you meet what you see in this open manner, in this very present manner? You don't skim the thing you see, but you really engage with them and try to be with them. I mean, you don't have to be with them for hours, but you try to be with them fully. And then, to let them go. Because often what we do sometimes is we grasp and then we get too involved sometimes with things. So can we get very seeing the thing, being with it, and then we let it go so we can see the next thing and be with the next thing. So in a way with this meeting, this letting go, this meeting, this letting go, which is a little what we're trying to do as we sit in meditation. Then there is the, what we hear as we sit in meditation. We hear things, I mean, we not, don't hear very much at the moment. I mean, sometimes we, uh, in, the, in the spring, we have more rooks. Rooks are always kind of, you know, doing their thing. Now it's kind of a, often we also have dogs, but not many dogs at the moment. It's a pity. But it's interesting to see, when we hear things, how actually we have this measuring mind, which seems to say, Ah, we sit here, listening, and then if it's a little twiddly, bird, hmm, this is fine. If it's somebody kind of coughing in a funny way, hmm, just about. 
if it's possible, if sometimes people bring their clock and see the ticks and then <coughs> the heavy breathing or the shuffling. To me what is interesting is how we feel about it. You know, how we kind of in a way can we just encounter any sound. As we sit in meditation and nothing dangerous is happening, as we would listen to that wiggly bird. As kind of in a way having that kind, openness to that. To me, in the creative engagement, there is this kind of soft, kind attention with it. So, playing with sound in a way. Also, in a way, what is interesting to look at in terms of our daily lives, in terms of sound, is when we see a word, you know? And for example, when we see a word of praise, you know, so, for example, you are sitting here, and I look at you, very penetratingly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I look at you, and I say, you are all awakened. Word, contact, and you say, wow, great, you I am awakened, great, great. Now I can go and teach. I can have a, you know, get a center and then get lots of Rolls Royce or whatever. <laughs> but it's interesting, the word. Do you just hear the word? Then you might think, well, what? I mean, you could, you know, what, what would it mean to creatively engage with that if I were to say that? Or if I suddenly look at you, maybe look a little more sternly. And then I say, You are stupid. <laughs> what? Stupid? What is it doing here? What? Oh, this is terrible. But lo- notice how you would feel quite differently in a way that I say is one. But what would it mean to, in a way, creatively engage with the world we <coughs> hear? Because I think, in a way, to me, that's what the stableness and the openness of the meditation is about at that level of contact. I mean, when I used to live in the community, we had to have this really terrible personal meeting, you know, oh, this kind of, you know, this is, you know, we are modern, consensual, psychological, so it's, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves. And it's always easier if people are honest with somebody else than yourself. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, and so, I mean, once I had this experience of the whole meeting, one guy kind of really <coughs> said things about me that, you know, I was like this and like that. And blah, blah, blah. I was too, basically, I was too organizational. <laughs> and it's true, I like to organize things. <laughs> and the whole meeting, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it was not pleasant to hear it. I mean, you know, you never want to be kind of, you know, told things like that. But at the same time, yeah, yeah, he was a little right, you know, that, you know, I had a tendency to be a little too organizational and possibly it could be a good idea to kind of, you know, take a little back step there, you know, and let people do their own thing. And so, although it was not pleasant to hear, I could have said either, this is terrible, I am the most terrible person, or this is not true. But it seems to me it was more useful to creatively engage with it to see what is true within it. How can I use it? How can I learn from this? And in a way it's kind of useful because 
sometimes when I see myself getting a little too organizational, I think, wait a minute, cool it a little here, you know, take a step back, relax. But also I can be, because sometimes it can be very useful. So the creative engagement is in a way encountering the, the word and really looking at its meaning in many different ways. Another time I had another encounter where somebody for half an hour said all kinds of terrible things to me. That was another, that was actually here in the kitchen. And saying, you know, da 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 da. And I was standing there and I could see it had nothing to do with me. But it was very cleverly done, I must admit. I was very interesting. You know, I never see somebody do something like this. And for 30 minutes, just really, you know, take you down verbally. And really very clever. And so I was standing there, and so there was that stability, the openness, and there was the wisdom. No, I, this is nothing to do with me. So this is interesting that he can do this, and he can do it that way. And later I have to do something about this, <laughs> in terms of him living with other people. And so, in a way, there the creative engagement was to listen to it, to hear it, and not to grasp at it, not to limit myself by it, but in a way later, kind of, you know, to address the situation that somebody doing this kind of thing to other people would create. So that's one of what I mean by creative engagement. It doesn't mean that you kind of, you, you don't know what is going on. It means you engage with it, but not in these grasping, fixing, or proliferating ways. So, in a way, as we sit here in meditation, and if you ever have kind of words that you have heard in the past come up, playing with it, how can I creatively engage with these words from the past? How can I be differently with them? Then there are the smells. And so as we are here, in a way, there is all kinds of smell. There is the smell of the food, there is the smell of the flowers, there is the smell of the compost, there is the smell... When, you know, you go to the bathroom and somebody has just thrown a big poo, there is the thing. If you do a poo, you think, hmm, this is okay, you know, this is my own smell. But it's interesting when somebody else says, hmm, it seems to be a little more vicious than if it's your own. And I like to... In a way, when something like that happens, you know, how can I be with that? You know, when it's my own, when it's somebody else, how can I creatively engage with that? <laughs> what do I do? How am I with it in that context? To me, this is in a way, the, the meditation is about looking everywhere, not just in these kind of glorified places but really everywhere, in all the contacts, to use all contacts as point of exploration, as point of really creatively engaging. Then there is a taste. I mean, this is the last thing that's left to you on this retreat, the food. And you know, the taste, and, you know, and it's interesting on retreat and in silence and, you know, all these different cooks, and, you know, you never know what you're going to get, and you never know what it's going to taste like. This is the thing when we're on retreat. Something looks so nice, mm. and you put, you know, quite a lot on your plate. 
and start to eat it, I said, ah, it really doesn't taste like you thought it would. I said, you know, how can I get rid of this? <laughs> and then I know, looking at that, looking at that. Also, when you add something, you know, you don't know, but you taste it, mmm, it's so good. Mmm, then you look, you know, can I get seconds? Again, just when we have this taste, when we have this contact with the food, again, making it a, a point of exploration. And what is interesting there with the taste is what I find there where we can see, often when we grasp at the newness of the experience. And it's interesting, when you eat something for the first time, and it's really tasty, really taking me, wow, this is nice. And then generally, you know, two hours later or a day later, you will want to eat the same thing because you want to repeat exactly the same experience. And you will eat the same thing and then it will still be nice, it will still be good. But it won't have that, ah, ah, that was fantastic. And I think there we can see that sometimes what we do is not grasp so much at the contact, but at the newness of the contact. And then we try to repeat the newness of the contact. So we grasp at the newness, not at the thing itself. And then it can take us a lot of energy to each time find something new, in a way to be excited about. I think often that's what we do, because we knew we get bored so easily. You know, we, we, we lose by grasping, we actually lose the, the real taste of the thing itself. And that's why I found interesting as a practice is to eat something you really like. I do this with cherries. I like cherries. And to really be very, not so much to because often I grasp at the idea that I like cherries. This is my, one of my favorite fruits. And so you grasp at the idea of it more than the thing itself. And then I try to really taste, to really kind of chew the cherry and be very present to it. And the experience is very different. And it's true, it takes a little the excitement away, I must say. Not having so much grasping. But it is, you kind of feel the cherry in a very different way. You're present to it in a very different way. So again, trying to experiment with that. Then there are sensations, and of, of course, obviously you might have already uh, be working with this, in a way, as you see it in meditation, as we all have here our various aches and pains. And in a way, how can I be with that? You know, as long as it doesn't really, you know, terrible, terrible, but when there is pain, when there is discomfort, how can we be with it? And actually, if we don't grasp that here, I think even the most terrible pain, we can be with it, experience it in a very different way. Because sometimes I teach retreat, not, I mean, at the moment I'm quite okay, but sometimes <coughs> I teach retreat and, I've, and am I might be in great pain. One there is amazing pain for a whole 30 minutes of sitting. My leg was shooting and was I never had such pain in my life. But I could not leave because I had to ring the bell. <laughs> 
So I just sat there and I decided, okay, how can I creatively engage with this space? So I went inside it. It was very different to this, in a way, often by grasping at something and rejecting it, we distance ourselves, but at the same time we magnify it. Well, actually, if we go in it, we come closer to it, actually it's very different. So you can be with it, we can be with the tumult of it, and you can be with the energy of it, and you can be with it. But of course, when uh, the walking period came, of course I took some painkiller. It doesn't mean that because you have pain and you can be creatively with it, you don't have a creative response as well. So what I'm talking about, this creative engagement, doesn't mean that you're just there with the thing itself, but that too leads to what I would call a creative action, creative response, and not this just bare being with something. Then you have thought, and I think thought is interesting to look at, because actually thought are again just a few firing in the brain. But thought can be so powerful, and we can know this in meditation. As I said before, one minute you're totally fine, and next minute you think you're hopeless, and I can never do this, and this is not working, and you really feel so different than two minutes before. So to me, it's very interesting in a way to look at the contact, we come into contact with our thoughts. And so because there is a contact, there is this grasping, and then there is this proliferation. And to really, in a way, explore how can I be with my thoughts and see them in a different way? How can I be, with, how can I be not so caught with them, not so believing them in a way? And I think that sometimes it's useful when you're sitting in meditation and you're telling yourself this kind of wild story to say, but is this true? Is this really true, what I'm telling myself in this moment? So in a way to question, in the contact, in the moment of contact with the thought, to question, in a way, what you're saying to yourself. So I would say, in a way, the meditation, that's what the, the, the Stephen was talking about, it enables us to meet the contact in a different way. So that's when we come into contact in a way to be aware. I am in contact. I am hearing, I am seeing, I am tasting, I am feeling, I am thinking. But in a way, there is more awareness on that contact, and through that awareness, more possibility of that freedom of creatively engaging instead of being caught. Because, back to the example, you could think, okay, grasping is a problem, then the solution could be to cut the hand. Personally, I think this is too drastic. And I think this is what the Buddha said about the middle way, that actually the middle way is not to cut the hand, it's not asceticism, but actually the middle way is to open the hand so then there can be more movement and more possibility in that moment. And I think meditation is very much about slowly, slowly learning to open the hand when we, to, we come into contact. So there is more movement, lightness and freedom. 
Because other solution is to get rid of the object. But the object is not saying, come, 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 grasp at me. Often that's what we feel, that you know, it's not our fault, it's the object. And I think this is a problem with what I would call traditional Buddhism and seeing ladies as bad, you know, because they are bad for monks. But the problem I don't think is with the ladies, but I think is with the monks, <laughs> myself. But you see, this is the thing, you get rid of the ladies and the monks have no problem with the ladies. I think it's more about grasping or not grasping myself, but that's another story. So in a way, the thing is not to cut, to destroy, the thing is not to get rid of. In a way, the thing is to learn to open in that moment of contact. And then there is feeling. And again, I and what is interesting in meditation is to, there is one meditation is to look at the feeling tone. The feeling tone of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Personally, I find it very hard to do this meditation. That's why generally I don't teach it, but if you can do it, please feel free to do so. And it's kind of, in a way, you sit here and you try to know, to experience the feeling tone. At the moment, am I feeling feeling tone pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Personally, I find it very hard to find that feeling tone myself, but maybe this is a bit, who knows, wrong with me or my, don't know. But I find what we can do is more in the experience, when we go about our day, or when we sit in meditation, to see what do we do when something is pleasant, what do we do when something is unpleasant, what do we do when something is neutral. Because I think we react very automatically. And to me, in a way, this is a bit the test of our progress in meditation. What do you do when something is pleasant? You just say, hmm, pleasant. Just be with it. Hmm, yes. Can I rest in it? Generally not. If something happens which is pleasant, hmm, I like it. I want it to continue. I want to repeat it. It's very interesting. If something is pleasant, you generally want to repeat it. Often I feel this. When we have a nice weekend with friends, they leave and you say, let's do this again. <laughs> and what we're saying is that I have the exact same pleasant experience. And so in a way to look at this, when something is pleasant, personally I think, enjoy it. The, the non-grasping is not about non-enjoyment. I think if something is pleasant, I would say really enjoy it. To know that you can enjoy it. Appreciate that something is pleasant, you feel good, you feel happy, you feel joyful. Things are going well. Know it. Because that will, you can remind you of that when something is really unpleasant. That it is not always unpleasant. So in a way, when something is pleasant, how can we be with it fully and at the same time knowing it is conditioned and it will fade away? So that in a way we know that as we experience it. So in a way it's even more poignant that it's pleasant because we know it will pass. But then it will help us to be more fully within it, more fully knowing it. But I think sometimes what we do also is that we grasp 
as what we imagine would be pleasant. And that I think is problematic. Because in a way you have two things running side by side. What you're experiencing in the moment, which is uh-uh. And next to it there is what would be so much better and extremely pleasant if only I had. And I think we can even experience this in meditation. You sit in meditation, if only I did not have this pain in the back, then I could meditate. If only it was not drafty, if only it was not noisy, if only the teacher were better, or whatever it is. If only if I was more, I don't know what. But it's interesting, as soon as you say this, actually you grasp in at something that is not there. And actually this often leads to such frustration and such pain. So in a way for us to be very aware, if we have a tendency to grasp at what is pleasant which is not there, which will take us away from being really appreciative in a way the potential for our life, for what is beautiful in this moment. Then there is what is unpleasant, and this is even more automatic. Something is unpleasant, I don't want it. And I mean, it's interesting, our first reaction is, why me? Why is this happening to me? Basically saying, why is not this happening to somebody else? It's interesting, it's very compassionate. You know, generally, unpleasant, we don't want it, we want to push it away. But the thing is that by pushing it away, actually we're giving it more strength. And to me, creative engagement is to kind of, okay, something is difficult. How can I be with this in this moment? How can I creatively engage with what is difficult? And I think this is one of the things that we find very, which makes us very painful, is when we suddenly say to ourselves, I cannot stand this. And it's interesting that moment when you think, I cannot stand this. And in that moment, it's so painful. When actually I would say, it is quite amazing what we can stand, what we can be with, and how, how out of that difficulty actually we can emerge our potential in a more sometimes very heroic manner. Recently I read the book of uh, Viktor Frankl on his experience as uh, being in the concentration camp and as a psychologist, being very aware of what was going on at different levels and what he saw struck by actually how physically, as a doctor, he would never have believed that human beings could stand where they stood all these years. And actually, what actually was the worst when, when somebody said, in a way, I cannot stand this and then lost the, the meaning, the will to continue. And so, in a way, I think it's very much for us to see when we push something away, the more we push it, the more we magnify it. And so instead, can we creatively engage, meet it, and through that, have that creative potential? Also, what we have is again the grasping and the fear of what could be unpleasant. 
And sometimes we create so much pain for ourselves by imagining what has not happened, but what could happen. And if this happened, this would be so terrible, this would be so bad. I had a friend like this, his whole life, he was afraid something would happen. He was always, in a way, on his shoulder, that fear. And that thing finally happened. And I saw him a month after, and he looked self-shocked, because he was totally okay. And he kept saying to me, but I am fine. I am fine. It is okay. And he was like, kind of emerging for a dream that actually he had worried for this for so long and he could totally handle it. He could totally creatively engage with it. And so in a way to see this when sometimes we grasp at the image at the fear of what is unpleasant. So in a way being aware of that, being careful with that. And then I would like just to finish uh, with a little just on fear, because somebody was asking about fear and meditation. That sometimes we sit in meditation and we feel something a little different, a little more spaciousness, a little more calmness. And it's interesting because two things can happen when we feel this. One is, ah, great, great, I'm going to be awakened in the next minute. And then generally the thing just goes. Or we feel a little differently. And then we start to be afraid. <laughs> Am I going to be different? What, what does it mean? Am I... Sometimes it's very inchoate, this fear. Sometimes it's a fear of dissolving, it's a fear of being an unfamiliar terrain. Sometimes it's just inchoate, you don't know it. And so in a way, <coughs> with this kind of fear, I would suggest two different things. One is if you feel strong enough, Try to be with the fear. Try to know the fear in that creative, encompassing, embracing way. How does it feel to be afraid? In this moment you're quite safe. We are here, there is support. So can you be with just the feeling of it and not get lost in the story it might link with in terms of pattern because we have emotional pattern of fear and so in a way can you stay more with the feeling of it and to see that it is changing it is fluid <coughs> and it goes if you are strong enough to do that that's what i would suggest if you feel a little fragile i would say leave the fear at the back and come back to something quite concrete Come back possibly to the sensation of the buttock on the cushion. Come back to the sensation of the hand on each other, or of the leg on the floor, or the feet on the floor. Come back to the feeling of the sensation of the cheek. Something cool, kind of uh, unrooted. That's why we might be also a little uh, fearful. So come back to something very uh, solid and just be with that. Come back to the sound, being very aware of the sound. And maybe drop the breath a little for a few moments. That's what I would recommend. Otherwise, the person can leave me a note and I can talk more to them. Whoever they are, it was not sight.
Okay, so that's what I wanted to say. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.